hand, everyone. Do you want to turn to page 1099 in the Green Bibles, or if you're on a tablet, smartphone, whatever, uh, by preference, that so we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to read from verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Just while you're finding that, um, a little bit of background, because we're coming in the middle of a letter. The, the context is that Paul is writing, uh, he wrote a number of letters, we believe, to the church in Corinth. Um, we've got two of them here, and this is the second one. The first one, he's ironing out some issues. And this one here, in this second letter, in this bit of this letter, he's writing to actually a cluster of churches in the kind of Greek peninsula, uh, inviting them to have a whip round, a, a financial collection, to help the church in Jerusalem, which is going, undergoing incredible uh, testing and suffering, trial. There's a lot of persecution under the Roman emperors in Jerusalem. So that's, that's not a great place to be for a Christian in, towards the end of the, the first century. And in order to help them, to resource leaders, to get them, I guess, kind of Bible study aids and uh, to get them food and shelter and that kind of stuff, all the stuff they need, he's inviting the Greek churches to have a, a whip round for the church in Jerusalem. Uh, and as part of that, he's been quite practical, and the bit we'll read is where he's really giving the heart behind it. Uh, and so we, uh, I want to say just at the start before I read this and, and just speak from it, that um, I very rarely speak from the front overtly about um, giving in general. I suppose, I, suppose I, I suppose we talk about giving of our lives and giving ourselves to God in service and so on, but, but very little specifically on financial giving. We don't, we don't take up a collection as part of our service here. There's a voluntary box, an offering box at the back, and you're very willing to, you're very uh, welcome rather to, uh, to use that. I don't know how willing you are, but you're, you're welcome. Um, uh, so we, we, we do money on the real down low, because I don't want that to be the message that people have. I'm paranoid that there's a visitor here today. I'm not going to ask. But if you're visiting here, I hope there's something about it. If you're visiting from another church, I hope there's something that I teach today is helpful, encouraging for you as you go back to your church. Uh, if you're visiting today and you're not from another church and you're maybe not even a Christian, then today it sucks to be you. <laughs> but, but on any other Sunday, uh, uh, so... I'm going to make the most of the day. As part of our housekeeping, uh, we've talked about how it's significant. Our, our kind of core pillars of the church to get, get connected with one another and with God, to get involved in some way. It's in expending yourself that you really get to lean into the purposes of God in your life. Uh, Lydia last week touched on get out there, whether it's inviting someone to Alpha or whether it's getting out in our local community to bring salt and light and to make a difference. And today, get giving one of the core staples of our church. So let's read what Paul says in terms of the heart of giving to these Christians in Corinth. Remember this, verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have scattered abroad their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now, 
He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, people will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Yeah, Father, to, to back up Lydia's prayer, we simply ask that you take this scripture and the heart behind it, the spirit behind it, your heart. And as you spoke to them there then, we pray you would apply your word to us here now. We want to be marked, Jesus, as a generous people, that people see us in action and give thanks to you. So challenge us this evening uh, and inspire us and teach us and release us for your glory. Amen. Amen, amen. Let me just, uh, one other caveat really. Well, no, it's not a caveat. It's a really important thing to say. Thank you. Thank you. I, I'm conscious that, uh, uh, and, and let, me, let me tell you that I, I know from the treasurer um, who gives on a financial basis in this church. I don't know, and I also know what amounts are given, but I don't know the correlation of the two, and I ask for it to be kept that way. I, 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 I don't think I can trust myself with that information, of knowing that X, who rolls up to church in a Mercedes, gives five pounds a quarter, and Y gives, I don't want to know all that stuff, because it'll mess with my mind. So I, just, I, I do like to know who gives, so that I can thank them. Uh, and I also like to know what is given so I can kind of monitor, you know, how, how are we doing per capita and, and commensurate with other sort of metrics that we might want to look at and study. So I find those two things helpful, but I don't find it helpful to put them together. So I don't know how much you give, those of you that give regularly. So I just want to say, it sounds rather generic, but I just want to say thank you for you, those of you who give, whether it's monthly or quarterly, uh, whether it's on occasions. I know some of you are, uh, you, you can do seasonal work or the way in which you are paid means that you can only give uh, uh, every now and then. But thank you. Thank you too to those of you who give in all sorts of other ways, which doesn't go unnoticed. I did a little exercise the other day, just on Sunday, how many people within our church community contributed, gave themselves in some way on a Sunday? Came to over 20 people. If you count the person who turned up early at the 8.30 service to give out the prayer books for our, our prayer book service. To those who put on the urn early, it's about 9, 9.30 for the 10.30 service. The musicians that come and rehearse early on. For the kids team, who come and prepare all the lessons so that they can deliver them to the children who have an amazing time at the 10.30 service. To those of you on the welcome team, to those who've turned up hours ago to practice and rehearse with James, uh, to lead us in worship in all sorts of ways. And that's just a Sunday. How many volunteers give their time for the recovery course or for Alpha? How many volunteers open up their home so that other people can meet as a life group? 
He goes on and on and on. There's a guy in the 8.30 service who does, I would estimate about a day's, he gives on average about a day. Uh, he's in a fortunate position where he can, but he gives us about a day to basically oversee and administrate the work of the charity linked to the church. That charity and all that it does, wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to do it if it wasn't for what he gives of his time. So grateful. Thank you. But having said that, it's interesting that Luke records that Jesus, uh, when he was hanging around the temple, occasionally he'd be in Jerusalem, he'd hang around the, the center of worship. And what's he doing? Is he, is he looking at the liturgies and, and uh, kind of checking that the worship band are all on message? No, he's, apparently he's standing by the offertories. He, he's standing by these great big um, uh, sort of columns that they had where you were invited to, to place your arms and your gifts and your donations. And he's just paying attention to who's around there and who's giving what. And there were those with the ostentatious flourish, bringing out their checkbooks and writing out a check, waiting until they just got everyone's attention before posting it in. But Luke records that he notices the widow who shuffles up and puts in two tiny coins, which on an objective scale is absolutely nothing, but for her signified everything and he notices her and Luke records that so that for all time and all eternity the widow and her two mites is what we know captured Jesus attention you see the thing about Jesus is that he knows that the way in which people handle their finances is keenly reflected in the kind of people that they are the way we handle our money the approach we have the attitude towards it keenly indicates the kind of people that we are. Really interestingly, many of you will know, if you're visiting, you perhaps won't know, that the last two Tuesdays, we've had a couple of seminars in the evening here, Tuesday evenings, talking about sex, uh, dating, relationships, all of that. And um, the question sort of percolating up quite often was, why doesn't the Bible have more to say about sex? Well, it'd be so much easier if we could just, you know, there were chapters, verses, whole books on this whole thing. This is the burning issue. This is the question I'm really asking. And the frustration of those of us who engage with scripture is that the Bible has hardly anything to say on eros, erotic love that God has placed within us. How many verses do you think the Bible has on faith? It's about 500. The Bible talks about faith or expresses faith expressively 500 times. Hardly anything on sex, faith about 500. How many verses in the whole of scripture do you think there are on money, possessions, or wealth? It's over 3,000. If you take all the teaching of Jesus in the Gospels, nearly a quarter of it is devoted to money or wealth. It's not that Jesus isn't interested in sex. It's just that it, he's got something even more significant and even more important that he wants to talk about. Maybe we should talk about this more often, along with sex and relationships and all the rest. Jesus is keenly interested on our wealth, our money, and our possessions. I have four points I want to make this evening. A little mnemonic, give. So it's a G, an I, a V, and an E. To do with our giving. First of all, our giving should be rooted in gratitude. Our giving should be rooted in gratitude. We should be grateful as givers. Paul makes this link strongly in this little section, and indeed throughout his letter. The giving between, uh, the link rather between giving and gratitude, thanks. So look at, uh, I mean, literally he talks about thanks giving. 
thanks is something that we give by way of response. You see it in verse uh, 11 here. You will be made rich, he says, in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. He talks about this service in verse 12, this, this collection that you're making for the church in Jerusalem that you perform. It's not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. And look at the end of the passage we read, verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Giving is linked with gratitude. And the reason I think is because the psalmist kind of nailed it. It, Psalm 21, uh, sorry, 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything everything in it it all began with him well we didn't we didn't come up with the idea of creating the earth and the sun and the moon and the stars it wasn't our, our idea it was his we didn't come up with the idea of creating ourselves we don't own we don't copyright on the air that we breathe or the way that our heart works or the way in which our mind can conceive and dream and plan and strategize who who, who enabled us to do all that God. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, it all belongs to him. We, we talk about my house or my idea or my job as if we possess it. No, we're just borrowing it. We won't, I won't keep my house and my clothes or my job when I die. I don't, I don't get to hold on to any of it. So I only have it while I'm here on earth. It belongs to the Lord. I'm just called to join in. He, he generously gives it to me, to us. And he invites us to join in with the deep joy, the blessing, the satisfaction of living life with all the things that he has given us. And when we have that attitude, when we recognize it, it doesn't belong to us, this isn't mine. The money in my pocket isn't mine. I'm in temporary possession of it. But the question is, what will I do with the money that God has given me? And when I, when I line up with that heart attitude, that mindset, if you like, I'll find that life is so much more satisfying when, first of all, I look to give thanks to the one from whom it all originates. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That's why Paul says here, God loves a cheerful giver. Because it's indicative of someone who has grasped this point. It doesn't belong to you or to me. None of this belongs. All that you have, it's the Lord's. And he invites us to join in the stewardship of it. It's not, you know, when, when we think maybe about giving in terms of our time, our money, our talents, whatever it is. It's not primarily, not initially, as an expression of my love for God. It, it, it comes from a recognition of his love for me. And, and it's just the natural response. When I recognize what God has done for me, who he is to me, then the natural response is to give out of gratitude. So point number one, our giving should be grateful, a result of our gratitude. Secondly, our giving should be inspired. Our giving should be inspired. Uh, don't worry to turn to it, but in the first letter, 1 Corinthians 16, Paul gives uh, one or two sort of practical tips about giving. He, he talks about 
um, setting aside, uh, you know, looking at your possessions, your money, your, it might be, as we understand, sort of coins and notes and credit cards and so on, or it might simply be your, your possessions, what you, you have within your home, your estate, and to every now and then, to, you know, in a measured way, to give to others in need as an expression of thanks to God. And you see, he talks in quite practical ways, and that's good. And that's right, there, there is a common sense element to our giving. But look what Paul says here in verse 7. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. There's an expectation that people will give. Each of you should give. The people of God, this is just what we do. There's a, a response, a gratitude, a grateful response. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It's interesting, isn't it? Because usually we make decisions in our mind, in our head, don't we? We think with our brains. And that's a difficult choice to make. Think about it, and then I make a decision. He says here, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. It's a heart response that God is looking for when it comes to giving. It's a heart response give you an interesting, I was just in Birmingham yesterday, uh, my youngest daughter has just started at the university there, and we, I went up to go and see her, and uh, <laughs> I was struck, I've got so used to living in um, SW6, uh, we were in a car, and we were looking to park the car to, to go shopping, and in, in, um, I thought, I'll do a you know, good old dad, I'll, I'll do a good old shop, and then sort of fill up her cupboards and everything, she's living in a, in a flat, self-catering, so I'll do a weekly shop, bless her that way, so we went to park couldn't believe the car parking charges. Birmingham, I thought, I kind of thought all cities, no, to up to two hours, we'll have a little quiz, up to two hours, guess how much, guess how much it costs for up to two hours? 450, you see, Londonized, Londonized there, 90p, up to two hours, 90p, how much is a meter here? You probably know that, what do you get for 20p? Eight minutes. Isn't it? Isn't it eight? I think you yeah, eight minutes for 20p on the meter here, unless it's even that's gone up. Went to, okay, went to, now it was, okay, we'll, we went to Lidl. It was a Lidl, just to, just to calibrate there. But we, did, we filled a basket with provisions, okay? So imagine a basket brimming full with provisions. How much did that cost? 50 pounds. It's like the auction again, isn't it? <laughs> 14 pounds 30. 40, I thought there was a mistake. I looked at the thing. You've not charged me for something. 40, I know it was a sort of students just doing, you know, boiling the bag this and things like that, but I, th I found myself, I started to think, I used my head, I started to decide in my head, I need to get out of London. <laughs> what am I doing in London? It is so expensive. And we'll all do that. If we start to look at London living, the rents that we have to pay, or the mortgage we have to pay, and the food bills, and the rates, and travel. And have you seen how much it costs us to eat out around here? And if I start to think, there's no way I'll give stuff away. It's almost as if Paul knows that. He knows our condition. If we decide in our head, we'll never do it. We'll never do it. I'd never do it. Paul says, each of you should give by deciding in your heart. Your giving needs to be inspired. It's an act of worship. 
The Christian church has inherited this idea of giving a, a tithe, or just, that's just another word for a tenth, of all that we possess. Remember, of course, we don't possess it. We're just looking after what God has given us. And as a heart response, God invites his people to give back a tenth of what is his anyway. It comes from Abram, uh, back even before he was Abraham. Uh, and his, lo- his nephew, Lot, was captured by a coalition of four kings. And uh, he goes into battle against four kings. It, the odds are not good. But he manages, by God's grace and favor, to rescue Lot. And he's so relieved. I mean, I, I, I guess Abram's thinking, I'm going to die here. I'm doing the right thing for my cousin Lot, but I'm going to die here. Four kings and their armies. But God delivers Abram. And he's so grateful that he is inspired to give. And he insists to Melchizedek, who's the kind of priest of the, day, of the time, he insists on giving a tenth of all he possesses, his cattle, his herds, his flocks, and all the things within his household. He insists. Melchizedek kind of pushes back. No, no, no. You know, well done. You won. No. Abraham knows this wasn't him. I'm so grateful to God that I want to give him a tenth. The tithe or tenth in 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 the kind of biblical teaching emanates from not a duty or something you've got to do it's a delight it comes from abraham's i want to give back to god because he has given so much to me in over the coming years it got through uh, the exodus and moses and uh, the law laid out in deuteronomy it got kind of sewn into the law this is what we would expect a grateful people of god to do to look at all that they have and give the best the best 10 percent as a love offering as a thank you offering back to god in recognition that it doesn't belong to me all of this is mine only because god has given it to me in the first place and by way of a thank you I'm going I'm I'm to have a portion, 10%, and give it back to God. Practically speaking, but what did that mean? It, well, the priests, the Levites, were the, the tribe that kind of looked after the worship of Israel. And so all the grain, all the, all, the, all the kind of goodies, as it were, were brought into the storehouse. And it was the Levites who were responsible for saying, okay, we've got all this provision. A bit like, in a sense, all this provision here. How will we, how will we use this so that everyone can benefit? Others can be included in the goodness of God. In a sense, we'll, we'll do that. We, with these provisions, we're going to think, well, I think probably the best thing is to give them to the food bank because the food bank will know exactly how to distribute them to those in need. It's kind of how it works. So the idea of a tithe was to give what's right, not to give out of what's left. It's not an afterthought. It's not, well, is there any spare? You start by saying, I'm going to give to God. 10% was the principle enshrined in the Old Testament. Interestingly, Jesus didn't pick up on the 10% bit. He said it's an attitude of heart. There'll be times when you can give way more than 10%. And there'll be times maybe when you can't. Seek first the kingdom of God, he said. And all these things, how will I pay the rent? How will I pay the bills? How will I put bread on the table? All these things shall be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God. If you can give 15% or 20% on a regular basis, God bless you. That just means God has, literally, God has blessed you. And as a thank you, you give it back. And if it's, even if you're on 
the, the minimum wage. Even if you're a student here, I don't know if you had any hands up, but if you're a student here, I, I, Joe and I, when we were at university, we practiced tithing. We gave 10% of whatever our student grant was back then. It, it, was, it was like the widow's might. It wasn't much money, but it, it's not about the amount of money. It was the attitude of heart. We were just so grateful to have anything as students. <laughs> and we wanted to express that to God. Our giving should be inspired. Look what Paul says when you decide in your heart what to give. Verse 8. Look, look at this. This is like the, the payback. It, how good is God? He gives us stuff. We give it away. And look what happens. And God is able to bless you abundantly. Notice the words here that Paul uses. God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Sometimes it's fun to play with scripture and just to sort of, you know, read something through the opposite. And God is able to bless you every now and then. So that occasionally, maybe, sometimes, having just about scraping through for a, a week, you will, you will slide in with every good work. No. What kind of a God are we worshipping there? This is a God of, of, of abundance. This is a God who cannot but give and give and give of himself. And he promises that as we give, what happens is, it's a metaphor I've been using recently. You see, God is in terms of giving, God is driving at 90 miles an hour. So when we slipstream him, we find we can give at 90 miles an hour. When we give to the giving God, we will not outgive him. He will just enable us to give more and more. Look, it, you, think I'm, you think I'm just preachers hyperbole. Look at verse 10. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Can you, can you sense the Spirit inspiring you with this truth? That as you give seed, he'll give you more seed so that you can be even more generous. So that the, 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 harvest, the, the, right, the, the harvest of your righteousness will grow and grow and grow. Not, not just in financial times, although I believe that actually if you give money, you'll find you'll get more money. As a general rule, if you're generous with it. But actually it's giving in, in, the, in the, whole, like the whole of our lives. You want to be more loving? Give love. Go, go to someone who looks unlovable and practice loving them. You're not a very good listener? Listen. Practice listening to someone and God will enable, he will increase your ability to listen. You, you want to be more patient? Then practice patience. Give patience in a situation. Just sit there, be him, you can grit your teeth, clench your fist, whatever it takes to be patient. And you will find God will grow the patience in you. You want more love, joy, peace, patience, the fruit of the Spirit. You want that to grow in you. Paul says that a harvest of righteousness will be enlarged as you give. God is calling us to give in an inspired way. As an act of worship. The, the, the principle of the tithe, as a, as a benchmark, as a, as a sort of rule, if you like, through history, it's not a tax. It's a token of gratitude. It enables us to say, thank you, God. And as we give, 
it enables other people to be drawn into God's blessing. Which leads to my third point. Our giving should be visionary. For thinking about drawing other people into God's blessing as we give, drawing others into the circle of his blessing, then our, our giving should be visionary. The amazing thing about this church here is that uh, Paul is writing to people who come from a Gentile background. The Greeks were Gentiles. They worshipped other gods. And through the proclamation of the gospel, they come to believe in the, the love, death, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They come into God's embrace, into brand new relationship with him. And so these were Gentile Christians. And Paul was inviting them to, to give a collection for a bunch of Christians in Jerusalem who, who were, by and large, their background was from Judaism. They'd converted to Christ from Jewish background. You think about that for a moment, with what you know of the centuries of animosity between Jew and Gentile, brought together amazingly in this one new creation, the church, the Christian church, Jew and Gentile brought together. But nevertheless, there's a whole lot of background resentment. There's a whole lot of background prejudice. There's a whole lot of history that they've got to sort out. And Paul has got the audacity to say to Gentiles by background, Give to these Jews by background because you are now united in Christ. And here's the thing. They do. The Greeks get it. Because they can see with the eyes of their heart, they can see what God has done. This just, just across the page, chapter 8 and verse 5. He's telling the Corinthians here of another church in Macedonia. Again on the sort of Greek peninsula. And he says... Um, I'll go from verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely of their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Paul's talked to the Macedonian churches about this, this whip round. Hey guys, we need, we need some money to help the, the guys in Jerusalem. And, and the Macedonian church is obviously really poor itself. They haven't got much money, and yet they plead for the privilege of being able to, to share in God's blessing. They're poor, but they want to give. Not only that, they want to give to people who used to be their enemies. That takes vision. To contribute to something, to give to something that, that you're in many respects, you don't fully get. To give to something that is, that is nascent, that's, that's embryonic, that's still birthing. They haven't got years and years of trust. Oh yeah, those are, they're good guys. They've got accountants to money. My money won't be wasted if I give it to them. It's a risk thing. And these guys, they're up for it. Because they can see what God is doing in this new movement, the Christian church. It's no different today in, in terms of the, the appeal by the Spirit to give. It needs to be visionary. We haven't had this second recovery course yet that Lauren is starting on the, on the 13th of November. But I, 
I, I want to do whatever I can to ensure that the men and women who come on that course are, are helped, released, loved, set free. I want, and there are various costs involved in that, which as a church, we're, we're doing our very best to budget. I, I want to make sure that the, the food bill is paid so they don't have to worry about it. Often a number of people with addictive lifestyles, the, it, it can be fairly chaotic. I don't want to generalize here or, or patronize, but just so the thought of having to turn up and pay for a, a supper. I'd love to be the kind of church so generous that we say, no, don't worry about that. This, this kind of course on someone, I mean, we, we honor uh, Lauren, who's three and a half years clean. Praise God. But hey, she's, she's going to be right back into the white heat of temptation as she engages with all these people who are in lifestyles and patterns and addictive behaviors and mindsets that she was come from. So we want to pay for her to have a, a counselor and to someone who walks alongside her, keeps her strong. Counselors don't come cheap. Can, can, you, can you see what giving to the church, which we then funnel into something like the recovery course, could release? Imagine, here's the vision, imagine the stories that we could be rehearsing, say, in six months' time, of someone standing up here and saying, I used to wrestle with this, and now I'm free. I, I love just the little story she gave us there, sort of drug addictions and now on methadone. Just, it's slow, it's like punch in the face with it. <laughs> sure, it's tough, it's costly, but have we got the eyes to see lives being changed? Alpha. I mean, I would give anything for Alpha if it just meant that people could come in and in a relaxed and comfortable and unpressured way engage with the truths of the Christian faith in such a way that they give their lives afresh to Jesus Christ and walk a new life. Would you like to be part of a church that's Celebrating that kind of story? Nod. I, you're nodding in your heart. I know you're nodding in your heart. We all do. I know you do. We all do. It, it will require an element of sacrifice always round. People will come and set up early. People will be late here, staying, giving of time, yes. And giving too of resources, financial resources that enables this to happen. We, we, we want to set up um, training for the cross-light death advice. We're going to partner with St. Paul's Hammersmith because so many of the referrals that they get at Hammersmith live in Fulham and they've come to us and said, is there any way in which you could kind of partner with us? I said, I'd love to do that. It'll require a little bit of training. That'll probably cost a little bit of money. I'm going to break the bank. But would you like to contribute in a visionary way to enable people to climb out of the sickening spiral of debt that so many around here live and have got themselves in. So many ways in which we can give with vision. How? How? How do we do that? Look at verse 5 of chapter 8, these Macedonians. How did they give out of poverty? How did they plead to be counted privileged to contribute? Verse 5, they went beyond our expectations, having given themselves first of all to the Lord, they gave themselves by the will of God to us also. They gave themselves first to the Lord. It, it's back to the gratitude. It's back to the worship. It's back to the inspiration. To, to thinking with our heart. It, it's vision. What couldn't God do with what I give back to him, which is his already in the first place? Finally, Giving is grateful, giving is inspired, giving is visionary, giving is expectant. Giving is expectant. 
chapter 9 and verse 6, little agricultural metaphor that Paul employs. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Don't need to be a great theologian to understand what Paul's saying. You, you reap what you sow. If I sow apple seeds, I shouldn't expect to reap a harvest of pears. If I sow apple seeds, I'll reap apples. If I sow wheat, I'll get seeds or whatever you do. Not a great farmer. But <laughs> whatever you put in the ground and it comes, I'll get wheat. You reap what you sow. I, I do understand that. You reap what you sow. And Paul says, it, it, here he's really talking about the heart attitude of our, our corporateness, of us as a church. See, if we sow reluctantly or begrudgingly, oh, and I suppose I've got to, we will sow into, we'll begin to reap a vibe, a culture that's, oh, I've got to welcome you, you know, I suppose you can sit there, alpha, huh? all right. Stop. But if we sow generously, if we sow cheerfully, if we sow extravagantly, that, that heart attitude gets sown into our whole St. D's psyche. It's, 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 it'll be how we're known. I'm, guys, I'm, I'm jealous for that. That we are known as a church that is, that is cheerful and generous and extravagant. I love this little phrase here. It's quoted from the Old Testament. They've scattered abroad their gifts to the poor. Just as a slight aside, we've got the PCC, again, giving their time this Friday, Saturday, 24 hours away to pray, to hear the Lord, and to hear him particularly for the vision and direction, the kind of emphases of our church. And I, I sort of advance notice, I, I, I feel the Lord calling me to sow into that in some way, a lean to those who are less advantaged in our neighborhood. I would love that someone, oh, St. D's, yeah, they're the ones who scatter abroad their gifts to the poor. That, that's a strap line that would make me uh, go to bed happy every, every evening. I don't know about you. We reap what we sow. Generosity to those who are not as fortunate as we are. Sowing generously to reap generously. Secondly, just on this expectant, you, you reap what you sow you reap after you sow. You reap after you sow. I, I just say that because um, there's an element of faith that uh, when I give money to be stewarded by the church, in this case, St. Dionysus, I, I, I kind of have to risk, I suppose, trust that, uh, that the way in which via the PCC and accountability and prayerfulness, but the way in which that is uh, distributed will produce fruit. And I may not be able to see it. I may not exactly be able to measure it. How do you measure an individual off the recovery course who says, I was gripped by this and now I'm free? I mean, what monetary value do you put on that? It's hard, isn't it? That's why you have to decide in your heart, in your head, you'd have a spreadsheet, and you know, it's worth this, it's worth that, and the bottom line. <laughs> we give with our heart. So we hear a story like that and say, I, that's just you can't value it in kingdom terms it's priceless but you have to trust that when we sow when we give we won't see the results for a little while but God will deliver I was sharing this story I've got 
time for this story. This morning, uh, about, I was sharing this morning, about two, three years ago, we had a, a service with all the kids in, an all-age service. And I thought, I was teaching on a sort of similar kind of theme. And so I had um, mustard seeds, you know, and you give, did you ever, do, you remember this at school? You mustard seeds on a bit of blotting paper or cotton wool on a little sort of uh, styrofoam cup. And uh, you put it in and, um, you, and then you sort of leave it in the, on the windowsill. And a few days later, it's all sprouted. Are you with me here? Have you done that? Oh, you deprived lot. There's a whole lot of people who have not done that. Go home tonight and do it. It's, it's just, it's kind of a bucket list for life. You've got to have done that at some stage. Normally you do that at private school, but you guys, at uh, primary school, but you guys obviously have missed out on that. <laughs> or private school, you know? <laughs> oh, Mr. Freud. <laughs> I don't know whether I should go on with this story or not. I think it's... Basically, I, so the kids, we did it, and I said, look, this Sunday, do all that, and then I'll bring them out next Sunday, and they're all grown, and you'll see, and it'll be a faith riser, because you put your seed, and then it all grows. And so I took them all away, put them in, the, in our little conservatory there, in the sunshine and everything, and on Monday, whew, some of them are shot up. And by about sort of Wednesday, Thursday, most of them are shot up. By Saturday afternoon, there were two, and they all had their name on, all the kids, there were two, nothing, there were just seeds, sitting in a little, column. everything else had sprouted up in these two. And I was thinking, oh no. Because they're all going to come back. They've got their name on. I've said, come back and you'll see how God makes things grow. You know, it's his whole point. And they're going to come back. Oh, mine hasn't grown. I was thinking, oh, no, what am I going to do? I've kind of decimated their faith. I was thinking of ringing up their parents and going, um, you know, if you wanted to go and see Granny tomorrow, that would be fine to miss church. Don't worry. Sort of manage it. And you see, what I was doing was, was I was beginning to think with my head. I was beginning to kind of steward life as Tim Stilwell would do it in his own inhibited, limited, sort of minimal faith way. Sunday morning, I tiptoe down, please God, please God, please God. Yes, they sprouted. I mean, somewhere right up here, but at least they'd sprouted. Took them in. Hey, kids, see, it's all worked. (laughs) Point made trust. I, I wasn't willing to trust what God has sown into creation. When we sow, we'll reap. That, that's in a practical seed sowing thing. This, it's true in the spirit realm. It's even more true in the spirit realm. When you, when you sow, you will reap. But it may take time. It will take faith. You may not see the results. Does not mean that you will not reap. Because final thing on this, you reap more than you sow. You reap more than you, you sow a tiny seed and you reap a crop. You know the story Jesus tells of the sower, he scatters the seed. And yes, some's on the path and some the birds and the weeds and stone. But some, the seed that falls on good soil produces a crop a hundred times what was sown. I used to read that as a hundred percent. I think, wow, what a return, a hundred percent, that's double. It's not double, it's a hundred times what was sown. Jesus on a hillside, he's teaching to a crowd, 5,000 men, because they just counted the men. So probably 15, 20,000 people. Lunchtime, no one's brought any food. Little boy, two loaves, two fish, five loaves. Is that right? Theologians, help me. Have I got that right? Thank you. How's that going to feed everyone? You give it to Jesus. You, you, you reap, you, sorry, you sow it to Jesus. You give it to him. And everyone is fed, and there are baskets left over. You reap more than you sow in kingdom terms. You reap more than you sow. 
When you give in faith out of a heart that is grateful, out of a heart that is inspired, out of a heart that can see with eyes of faith, when, you, when a heart is expectant on this God who promises and does deliver, you reap more than you sow. Church, I want to encourage you this evening to consider your giving. And to that end, I'm going to ask now that we just have a few minutes where we think about the giving of ourselves in, in every sense. And I'm going to invite every single one of us to make a response. Uh, I've got a, there's a basket there, and there's also a little table with some um, little bits of paper on. And I invited the people this morning, I wonder, same invitation for you this evening, to, to make a response in some way, some way in which I'm going to give. It may be because you've done all the maths on your finances, you know where you are, you're giving already, again, thank you. So it, it isn't that you're going to give any more financially, but maybe I'm going to give myself to pray for that recovery course. Every Monday evening, I get my phone, I'm going to set a little alarm, it'll beep, and for 60 seconds... I'm just going to splat Lauren and her team with prayer. And I'm going to give myself to that, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing. Or maybe I'm going to recommit to giving the whole of myself at Life Group, not just the bit that turns up when my heart is somewhere else. I'm going to be present in the ministry I serve or in the prayer triplet that I'm part of. I'm going to give myself. Because when I sow, I reap. And it blesses others. And it connects me with God. So I'm going to Give in some way. The Lord will lay, he, let the Lord inspire you in, this, in these few moments. I'm going to invite James and guys to just come and play gently, which will lead into worship. But 